0: Welcome to Laughter For All. It's the podcast with Comedian Nazareth. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Laughter For All podcast. I am Comedian Nazareth, and thank you for joining us here. Every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific time, where we meet uh, key leaders that can impact our lives, can, can give encourage you through this pandemic, but also we also have comedians and um, Other you know actors and entertainers and other people that really wanna just encourage you and lift you up and make you laugh. So uh, today uh, I have the honor to have uh, Pastor Daniel Bishop. He's a senior pastor at the Grove Community Church uh, in Riverside, California, and it's just a it's a great church. Probably five thousand members, and uh, I had the pleasure of speaking there a couple times, and. there's just they do so much globally and they do so much in the inland empire so and he is a young pastor so it's always great to have <laughs> a senior pastor of a large church who's a young pastor how are you thank you for joining us pastor daniel
1: hey i'm doing great nazareth man thanks for having me on your show wow and uh, let's see <laughs> you you were born where were you born in riverside i was born at loma linda hospital so, uh, yeah, not not too far away, 1983. I'll be 30, 1983. 37 next week.
0: Okay, so you're still young for a senior pastor of a church this size, yeah. I, yeah, so that's 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 I don't want to be in your shoes, that's what I'm saying. It's a lot of pressure <laughs> to be in. I don't,
1: your shoes. I don't think anyone wants to be in my shoes right now. <laughs> I, I, I took over leadership at the Grove five weeks, uh, before the pandemic happened.
0: So, I oh.
1: Yeah, it's been a piece of cake first year.
0: <laughs> but were you, uh, uh, Pastor Tom Lance, is it Tom Lance? Yeah. Who was a senior pastor for a while. So when you took over, were you teaching before then or just the last five weeks you took over uh, before no, the I've,
1: pandemic? I've been going to the Grove since I was eight years old. So my parents still go to this church. My brother and sister go here. Even my mother-in-law goes here. So it's a, it's a a it's a family church. And then I started working here when I was 18 years old. And uh, so I've been working at the church for 18 years, almost 19 years now, and uh, became the high school pastor, junior high pastor, and then uh, five years ago, entered into a succession plan that Tom Lance asked me to be a part of so that he could step down, kind of retire from the lead position. And I just took his place on uh, February 2nd, 2020.
0: So for five years, he was just training you and getting you ready to take over his position.
1: Yeah, you know he he put together a succession plan with the board, and he let me be a part of it too. They they say many times that a succession plan should only last a year or six months. Ours was five years, which for some people sounds terrible. Uh, for us, it wasn't terrible because he wasn't ready to retire. I was still young, had a lot to learn. Him and I get along really well. It was the best thing for him, for me, and for our church. I think it prepared them to get used to me, and for me to learn to be in this role. So,
0: now. I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna I'm gonna get emails about it didn't he have a son who took over the church?
1: <laughs> no no he, he Tom never had a son that took over the church he had a son that worked at the church oh. uh, Dan, Dan Lance so okay. and he's a great guy he ended up moving up to a, another church and uh, towards Reading, and now he's in Denver and he does restaurants and he's still involved in a church there so oh, Tom's other son still goes to the grove.
0: Because normally they put the son to take over the church. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: Well, Tom says I'm like his third son. So there you go. I said, well, if that's the case, I want part of your inheritance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And now uh, you went to CBU and uh, that's a great, great university here in Southern California. It's awesome. uh, And you studied the the bat program, which scared me because of the Wuhan thing and the whole (laughs) pandemic. What is the bat program?
1: The BAT program, it's the Bachelors of Applied Theology program. So I was in the inaugural year of that. I started in 2002 there, and it's a program where the Southern Baptists, a lot of churches donate to help send uh, students to school so that they can get out debt-free. They give you like a half a scholarship. So I was Mm -hmm. with the first group of students there, and I loved it. It was phenomenal. Dr. Dan Wilson was the dean of Christian Ministries who helped make that happen, and uh, I absolutely loved it. And I feel uh, equipped because of, because of their training. Uh, it, w- it was fantastic. I played soccer at Cal Baptist. Uh, but when I was there, the school was only 3,500 people and we were NAIA. Now they're over 11,000. They're division <laughs> one. So I tell people I'm a division one soccer player.
0: <laughs> do, do you still watch soccer?
1: Uh, not, not a ton. I'm more of a baseball guy now. I mean, I, I liked playing soccer a lot, but I, I I love watching baseball, basketball, and football the most.
0: I want to say something, and I don't want to hurt you personally or your church. <laughs> you You're not me, a man. Dodgers fan. You're not a Dodgers. You're an no, Angels I, fan. No, I'm
1: an Angels fan.
0: You're in the Inland Empire. You have to be. It comes with the territory. You have to be a <laughs> Dodgers fan.
1: I like the Angels. My son's <laughs> seven, seven and five. They're like, Dad, are the Angels ever going to be good? Because they've been bad since they were born. I'm like, one day,
0: son. One day, they'll be good and we won the dodgers won it this time so I know. are
1: you a dodger fan
0: yeah <laughs> yeah I'm my kid bad. because my only because my son when he was like uh, f- 7 or 8 he had to play a uh, little league and his team was the dodgers so i had to learn baseball because i i lived overseas i'm from israel i grew up in kuwait so i i'm a soccer guy i watch soccer all the time so who's your yeah, favorite I team had- uh, it was Liverpool for a long time, Liverpool, and then of course, now I'm uh, with uh, Barcelona, of course. Messi's, you're,
1: you're not watching out, not not watching too much US soccer there, huh? Nazareth,
0: no, I love the galaxy <laughs> when they had real people. <laughs> real people. <laughs> Do they still have that? What's his name, Abraham uh, Abrahamic? The oh, new did, guys? That guy's
1: that guy's hilarious. No, I think he's done,
0: he's done, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm not. I don't watch a lot. I would love to, but I don't, I don't have time to watch it. But uh, when you were little, when you were like 10, did you want to be a pastor? Would you like have a little pulpit and you were (laughs) instead of a fire truck or what did you want to do? I wanted to be a landscape architect. So I love
1: landscaping. I love mowing lawns. I still mow my own lawn (laughs) and uh, perfect lines. It's nice and green. Fertilized last week. Uh, Nazareth, the grass is looking good, brother. Uh, <laughs> On this so my, side, not the other oh, side, yeah. right? <laughs> so my dream job was to work at Angel Stadium and mow the lawns there and be the chaplain of the team uh, oh. in my mind. That's what I wanted to do and uh, planned to go to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I worked at a nursery just to learn plant names and uh, God ended up changing that. So it wasn't until my senior year of high school, I led one of my good friends to the Lord and my youth pastor told me, you should think about going into ministry And then my dad actually said, my dad was a business guy and said, Daniel, I I don't know. I don't know if I see you as a landscape architect. I think I see you working in the church. When I heard my dad say that, I got my attention and brought me uh, to start praying and asking if that's what God desired.
0: Now, when did you have that where you felt the faith? Maybe, you know, I I understand your parents were believers, but when did you personally felt, man, this is my faith now? You know, yeah. Just to even show on it, my, my dad was the first believer in his
1: family. His his father uh, owned a, owned a pharmacy and uh, started started taking some of the medication there and wasn't wasn't good. Um, someone invited my dad to a campus cru- crusade event uh, when he was a kid, actually in high school, and he accepted the Lord. And from him, his mom became a believer. His dad became a believer, and my uh, not not his dad but uh, his brother. And my mm-hmm. dad ended up marrying a Christian woman, my mom. So I always tell people. I'm the fruit of my parents' faithfulness, that because mm. my, parents, my parents were saved, they believed in the gospel, um, they chose to follow the Lord. Well, all three of their kids do now, too. So I'm, I'm very proud of my testimony. My, my grandma's the one who shared the gospel with me on her stairs uh, when I was just a young kid, and I remember it, telling me that I needed Jesus and that I'm a sinner. And as much as a little six-year-old boy can understand, I understood. I accepted Christ into my life. And I've always known that God was with me, even on that day. I just knew that. So there's parts where I've grown and understand it more and more, but,
0: um, I remember
1: giving my life to the
0: Lord when I was six. Wasn't there moments where you felt like you backslid and came back or it was just God had this protection thing on you?
1: Yeah. I think we all have our moments where we struggle and we choose other things instead of just choosing God. Um, like I said, I I had a solid Christian family. I've been at this church since I was a young kid. I had great pastors majority of my friends were believers. I mean, I played soccer and baseball. So I had buddies that weren't that weren't Christian. I made some poor decisions along the way. But like I said, from the time I accepted Christ, I knew the Lord was with me. I knew he was. So I'm making a bad decision. There was always something that drew me back to him constantly, not on my own strength. I just saw God pursuing after me and drawing my heart towards him over and over again. And he wouldn't let me get too far away. Um, So I'm just thankful for his grace in my life.
0: You know what, Pastor, uh, you know, I was 28 when I came to Christ, and if I have to do it again, I would do it from day one, but uh, I mean, I've done the drugs, I've sold drugs, I've, you know, strip bars, drugs, alcohol, drink everything. Uh, I was the first guy in my family to actually accept Christ as my Lord, as a, as an, you know, born again believer, but uh, I've always thought it's, your testimony is a lot more powerful and a lot more stronger than any testimony i can say in my life because that's god's protection a lot of people say i don't have a testimony and this is for people who are watching or listening i don't know you do if you were like pastor dan from the beginning god is keeping his hand and protection because he has work for you uh it is much more powerful than you do now when well, you and so, Nazareth, I would,
1: Nazareth, I even, yeah i mean your 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 testimony is powerful i mean, praise god for what he did in your life one thing I've noticed, even as a youth is you know, kids who grew up in the church, like they want their testimony to sound maybe a little worse than it is. And they're like, oh, yeah, I completely fell away. They're like, no, you didn't. You didn't fall away. You made some bad decisions. I mean, my, my whole thing is I'm proud of my testimony and big part of my testimony, my faithfulness because of my parents. So I literally say it. I say it with, with, uh, with confidence. I am the fruit of my parents' faithfulness hmm. because of their decision to follow the Lord and to teach me to follow in his ways. I don't have this crazy straying, um, but the Lord drew me in, drew my heart in, and you see that discipleship happens within the family. You, you see that discipleship works when a family loves the Lord, the parents love the Lord, and share the gospel with their kids. Many times the kids follow in their footsteps. And for you, someone who didn't know the Lord at first, well, God got a hold of you too. He can get a hold of anybody.
0: Exactly. So. Oh, if he can get on. I mean, uh, but uh, let me ask you this. Uh, you have an evangelist heart like I do, and you went to Chile for a year. And I remember when the pastor called you to come, you said, give me six more months because you committed to a year. In How old were you when you went to Chile? How nope. do you say it, Chile or Chile? <laughs> well, you're supposed to say Chile. <laughs> Chile. Uh, oh, Chile. Uh, yeah, Aprendo hablar español poquito. You speak fluent Spanish, right? Si, sí, verdad. <laughs> <laughs> sí, palabras, forma es
1: mala. I know words, but my form is terrible. So.
0: Me too. Yeah. I, I
1: made it to Spanish three in high school, but I cheated most of the time. And uh, it wasn't until living in a Chilean home where you, you you're forced to learn it. But
0: what was that like? What was that like moving? Like, you know, you're the typical blonde, blue-eyed guy in Chile. What was it like getting there? Why did you go there? I mean, who uh, was it? You chose this place, God put it in your heart, or you just went for a...
1: Yeah, it was after my senior year of college. And uh, a girl who I thought I was going to marry actually broke up with me. And I was just, everything was clean on the table. I'm like, okay, Lord, what am I going to do? For a second, I thought I was going to join the military and joined the Navy. that I could be a chaplain on a ship. Uh, my career of playing soccer at CBU was done, and I missed being on a team. So I even sat my parents, down. I said, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna join the Navy. And they said, okay, we're, we're, we're with you. But then I heard a sermon by Francis Chan, I'll never forget hey. it. And he talked about how he doesn't have many regrets in his life. But one of the regrets he has is that before he got married, that he didn't go overseas and fall in love with what God loves the most. And that's all people. That he doesn't hmm. just love you. That he doesn't just love United States of America. He loves all people. And, he has a plan to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, with that, I, I've always thought missionaries are a little weird. I thought <laughs> their kids. I thought their kids are always a little interesting too, and yeah. uh, I just don't think I had the right perspective on missions. And uh, someone challenged me. Besides Francis Chan, another professor said, "You know, Daniel, maybe you just need to go over and serve." So the Grove is heavenly inv- involved in missions. We support uh, 90 missionaries at our church. I went to our, our director of outreach at the time and said, her name was Sandy. I said, Sandy, I think I want to go on a mission trip. Send, send me to the best missionary that we have. I'll serve there for a year. I just want to learn to fall in love with missions mm. uh, because things don't come easy to me. I know it's important, but my heart wasn't there. And she said, Daniel, I know exactly where you need to go. You need to go and, and serve in Chile with a guy named Doug Callistad. And I said, call him up. I said, call him up. I'll go. And just tell him I want to follow him around for a year. So she called him up on the spot. She said, Doug, I got a guy who wants to come and serve with you. He said, great, send him down. And I went down there and lived there for a year, played soccer, uh, visited different church plants, and saw how they're sharing the gospel in Chile. And now they're sending the locals out to Afghanistan, to Iraq, to to Ecuador, and uh, the church is moving. Uh, It was one of the best years of my life, Nazareth.
0: And you guys have a, have a university for nurses in Egypt, which I am very familiar with, uh, going down to Egypt and all that. Uh, question: What was what shocked you the first in Chile? First thing you got in as a young college <laughs> what student? What shocked me hmm? is that they're different than Mexicans. <laughs> I think <it's, laughs> they are.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I grew up playing soccer a ton. A lot of my my buddies were were Mexican. So I think you go down there and you just you think, oh, everyone in South America, they're all they're all like Mexicans, and they're not. Their food wasn't spicy. Uh, <laughs> even their Spanish was different. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's different dialects of it. Tons of bread, tons of tea, and it it just opened up my eyes to how unique God has made each country. And uh, and Chile's a great great people group down there who I fell and in it, love with. I fell in love with. I still talk to the family to this day.
0: Oh. Anything funny happened to you there? Anything weird, embarrassing, something being different, you know?
1: Oh man, there's a lot of things that happen there. But yeah, one one of one of the things when I was down there, they uh down in the south with the Mapuche Indians. I've actually seen this on TV the the the, the TV show Weird Food or something like that. Uh-huh. Anyways, they kill they kill a lamb and they let the blood drain out. Um, and the Indians down there, they take every part of the animal and they use it. Um, and it, the blood coagulates, it puts cilantro in it, and then they, they eat it with bread. Um, so I was told that I had to do this, you know, missionary is supposed to eat what's in front of you. It was disgusting, but, uh, ate that, had a piece of bread and a sip of wine and, uh, took it down. So that's (laughs) a memory I will never forget.
0: Now, when you you came back and you okay you broke up you came went to chile came back you have a job as a junior junior high pastor at this, when did you meet your wife
1: yeah so i met my wife and that's kind of another story there but my um when i was in chile my best friend sent me an email of a of a girl her name is natalie and said hey she just moved in with my girlfriend she's She's beautiful. I think you should date her when you come back. And I was like, No, well, man, I'm in Chile right now. I have time to think about girls <laughs> serving the Lord.
0: <laughs> yep, serving the Lord. Well, yeah, there
1: you go. But when I came back, uh, all our friends got together. I met Natalie and uh, had some fun group dates. And we ended up getting together and got married two years later.
0: Did she know when she married you that one day you're going to be a senior pastor and she have to take that big position of being the, the wife of a senior pastor? No, Natalie.
1: Natalie wasn't involved in church a ton growing up. I mean, her mom brought her to church, but I think that was an intimidating thing for her. She's like, what does that even mean to be a pastor's wife? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I just had to, had to remind her, look, I don't need you to fit a mold. Just be yourself, be yourself, disciple some girls Get involved as much as you want. And I'm thankful that she's been involved a ton and has been a good teammate with me. She's awesome. What,
0: what kind of stress do you have as a senior pastor? A lot of people don't know that. What kind of stress do you have other than the old people complaining to you or people just nagging at you? What And you have to fill up his shoes That's you know, Pastor Tom. Oh, what kind of stresses do you get?
1: Well, you know, they, they say a lot of succession plans don't work, too. I mean, Tom has been at the church for 45 years. So nobody wants to be after the guy who everyone loves. You want to come after the guy who's like, eh, we need someone different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had. Um, let's try and, this one. And Tom, you know, Tom Lance, the senior pastor at the Grove, he, he, he was faithful. He was faithful to this church. In fact, he even moved... He moved the church up to a new location here. The church doubled in size. I call Tom like the Moses of the Grove, brought it to the Promised Land. So in my mind, I'm always thinking, Lord, I want to be like Joshua. Then, you know, I want I want to follow you in your in your steps and do whatever's next and fight whatever battles you have for me. Joshua three has always been like a kind of a theme verse for me, where it says and it says, "On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the eyes of Israel, and they saw him as they saw Moses. That it was nothing even Joshua did. It's what It's what God did. He chose to exalt them and put them in a place of leadership. And he was with them. And I've seen that. I mean, this has been a tough year, Nazareth. I'm sure you can imagine, no matter what decision a a pastor makes, you're going to have half people that agree and half people that disagree for the most part at the Grove, the people have been so generous and kind. Um, But I think just trying to do what uh, the Lord has put on my heart, our board's heart to be faithful to him and, you know, Churches are all responding differently right now. Some churches are deciding to come back inside. Some are staying outside. People have strong opinions on both. So I think at the Grove, we're doing our best to do what Scripture says while also showing grace to other churches and what they're deciding to do. And we have our convictions and we're going to do what God wants and not necessarily what others want.
0: And what is okay. that? What is that for you guys? What is, what is that? Are you gonna meet? Are you still outside? Are you not doing any only virtual? Yeah, we're 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 doing things online. We are meeting outside. The Grove has a good
1: portion of land, so uh, we still have two outdoor services right now at eight thirty and ten forty-five on Sunday morning. We have about a quarter of the church showing up. Not when I say a quarter, over a quarter of the church showing up to those two services, um, and uh, still three quarters of the church are watching online. We've chosen, even though we don't agree with the governor's order, um, right now we're submitting to that and uh, doing our best to honor the governing authorities while honoring God. We believe that we're not being unfaithful to God anything. We're still meeting together. We're still sharing the gospel. We're still doing small groups. Um, We're still doing missions. I mean, we're doing everything God has called us to do. It's just inconvenient right now. And uh, we're doing our best to make both happen. And uh,
0: what, do you, what, do you say, what do you say to a pastor of a smaller church right now? They're struggling. They don't know what to do. Should we do this? Should we do that? And what kind of advice do you have for them?
1: My advice to them is to stick with your conviction and following what God's calling you to do. And there's a way to make it happen. Uh, you don't have to have a big production system to to do this crazy service online. You can do Facebook Live. I've seen people even just do service on Facebook and that's it. And that's ministering to the church. Um, So whatever God has given you, it's enough. It really is enough for the situation that you are in. And your church is going to look different than the Grove, than another church, than another church. But what's God calling you to do and be faithful to do that well? So we have another church, a little smaller. They don't have the land we do. So they're meeting at our church too on sunday afternoon so i think there's other churches that may have things that you don't have that be willing to help you too because really even though churches see things differently i think i think that even those on the outside of the church those who aren't believers hopefully they still see the church as one and that we will stay unified and unfortunately you read the new testament it's all about unity and the church was disunified over different things and unfortunately that hurts the the big c church overall when we're not unified
0: so that's true that's, that's very true. So what is your thought on, like, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen next year for churches, in your, in your own opinion? And how are you planning to deal with that? What do you think?
1: Well, I think, I mean, you're putting me on the spot here, Nazareth. I, okay. happen? I, I think things are going to start changing pretty soon. So even with the Supreme Court decision that, that was made in New York, that one case that happened in Pasadena that was just kind of thrown back to California to do a do-over again. I think pretty soon that uh, the churches are going to get back many of their uh, religious freedoms to meet together and do what's best for their people. So I think churches are going to have the decision to make, okay, now that we can do what we want, what are we going to do? I'm sure they'll still have some restrictions along the way, but I think you're going to see churches start the process of meeting inside again um, and, Trying to convince their people to come back when they feel comfortable to do so, mm-hmm. uh, and I, that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, hopefully, ideally by April, if I was to guess, things were completely back to normal.
0: But who knows? I, I hope so. As good I, as mine. Would you take the vaccine?
1: Would I take the vaccine right now? I wouldn't.
0: You wouldn't, um, right now.
1: Now I'm, I'm not. I'm not an anti vaxxer I, I have good friends that are, and don't think that's time. Uh, I just think I'm young. Uh, my kids are young. If I get it uh, or if I had it in the past, which maybe I did, I think I'd get over it quickly. Um, but if I don't know, I didn't think that question was coming either. But that, that was oh, my, I, my,
0: my I don't answer. I don't plan questions. I don't have a note. I'm just, <laughs> you know, I don't have notes. So I just uh, because you know what I'm thinking as a like uh, last week, I had to go to Nashville uh, last Thursday. And I did a big event with the Newsboys where yeah. I did, and they were about. A I thousand. remember the Newsboys yes uh, they had a united you know the newsboys united so all of them paul uh, peter and and everybody was there and there were a thousand people in the audience and with masks and but it's a 3000 seater so we're able to spread people apart. And also now when I travel, I'm doing concerts outdoors. So I'm going to churches where we can do an outdoor, yeah. you know, and we can't call it a comedy concert because uh, the government. So what I do is I do, of course, I'm a pastor. So at the end, we do an invitation to Christ and altar call. So That's it, awesome. and then we have worship, but uh, I want to personally, I want to take the vaccine because I, I have to travel and I'm, you know, so but my question to you right now, because of all these churches, uh, you hear of people like Carl Lance and young pastors who are falling and, you know, adulteries and you know, immorality. And uh, How do you keep yourself pure? How do you keep yourself straight? Well, I,
1: I try my best to date my wife as much as I can. I do, I, and I, I think you hear every pastor say this, but for the most part, I mean, I do love my wife. I love her. And we have a great marriage. We make time for each other. Even back in premarital counseling, Tom Lance, who did our counseling, like, Dan, you guys need to get away. You need to make your marriage a priority. Um, and we do. Um, but I, I also acknowledge the fact that I'm human, I acknowledge the fact that I'm a sinner, I acknowledge the fact that even someone like King David, who was a man after God's own heart, he did some pretty dumb stuff in his life. So I think it's a dangerous thing when pastors think that they're untouchable, that they'll never make a mistake, and they let some of those safeguards go down. So even still, my, my wife, I let her look at my phone. She knows my passwords. Um, she looks at my Instagram, my messages. I've taught her how to look at my history. Um, I've taught her how to look at if I even deleted history of what that would look like. And Actually, I've caught her looking at my phone, um, and I want her to. Um, yeah. So there, there's that aspect of it at the Grove. You know, I don't drive anywhere with, with a person of the opposite sex. We don't, I don't go out to lunch with someone of the opposite sex. Um, more just to protect my own heart along the way and protect my marriage. So I, I prayed to be faithful to my wife. I'm telling you, Nazareth, every day, I'm a big Proverbs guy. I read a proverb a day today. I read Proverbs eight. One of my favorite Proverbs wisdom. Is asking, wisdom, man, we need wisdom. Um, that's a good one. But you, you read the first seven chapters of, of Proverbs. I mean, how, how much does it talk about adultery over and over and over again? Um, because many are the victims of, the, uh, of adultery. Um, many fall to that. And it's something I think you have to be mindful of and look for. Something why, even in the Lord's Prayer, you say, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Because you realize any person can fall. So I prayed for God to make me aware and, and to make sure I would never do something that would hurt my marriage, but would also hurt the church and hurt my testimony and, and doing my best to be a faithful man. Because that's a sad thing. you know. People make mistakes. The, the bummer thing is then it, it hurts the reputation of the church. It hurts the reputation of pastors in general, of really what pastors can be trusted. Who, is it just like this other guy who made a mistake or that one to make a mistake? Are they genuine? Are they sinners? Well, yeah, we're all sinners. We're all hypocrites. We're all in need of God's grace, um, but there are man. faithful men and women out there, and we need to we need to be faithful to the end. Longevity, man, is there anything better than being faithful to the end?
0: yes and you know what you're right i'm, I'm you know 99 percent of pastors are faithful and loyal and great and uh, you know i i you know the same thing you do as guards is like you know my wife has access to everything my phone my computer whatever she wants to do you know with this we do spend time together it's all that that's very important another thing i don't trust myself because i yeah. always you know i'm not going to be alone with someone from the opposite sex i just don't trust i don't want to trust myself also with you don't want the reputation of like oh we saw them with someone at a restaurant or driving but that's a great thing what do you say i mean josh mcDowell is you know who he is of course yes. he's a he's a good friend of mine and i had him on the on the podcast and one of the thing he was talking about is pornography among evangelical pastors of he said 50 percent was the number and now with the pandemic it's up to 70 that's crazy. what do you how do you guys how is the Grove deals with the the leaders and the members of the church as part as pornography? How do you, how, how do you guys address it? I know cause a lot of pastors don't even address it. Well, we
1: address it. We talk about it. We have a sexual addiction group that they can be a part of. We talk to our pastors I and mean, I ask them, Hey, if, are you struggling with anything? Don't wait till it's too late. Um, talk to us about things along the way. So I think just continually bringing it up, um, making sure people know that there's hope if you're struggling with something. And I think there's just so much shame involved in it where no one even wants to tell their spouse that they messed up even once. And because of that, it just compiles and compiles. They never get the help they need. And, and many times when you confess your sin, that's where healing is actually found. That's where it begins. So that's a tough challenge because of the shame that's involved. And they think it's going to hurt them, their
0: marriage or their job. That's that's true. And uh, another thing that we, you know, I was talking to Josh about and he mentioned that the churches need to deal with is uh, mental illnesses. Yeah. You know, we we know uh, the pastor from Harvest, you know. And uh, several other pastors that, uh, and there's so many people right now. They they say in Japan, you know, it's people, you know, the number of people that committed suicide is the, is the same number of people who died from COVID. And what? How how would you personally address that uh, suicide and and mental illnesses?
1: Wow, I mean, mental illness that. It is tough because many times it is outside of people's control and they're struggling with things. They don't even know why they're struggling. I know a lot of faithful men and women who are struggling with some form of mental illness, depression, anxiety, and Nazareth, they love the Lord. Like they love the Lord and they don't want to struggle with it anymore. So I think that's that's another thing. It doesn't mean that you're just this weak person or you don't love the Lord, but there just may be something in you where you, you just need some help along the way and talking to a counselor and talking to a doctor to figure out what's going on um, in your mind and get you the help that is, that is necessary. Um, so even a, a pastor that we just uh, hired at our church, the name's Damon Horton, DA Horton. I don't know if you've heard of him, um, but he, he's been very open about his depression, been open about uh, struggles with um, just even the value of his life, but he's gotten a lot of help. He's very open about it. He's the director of uh, uh, intercultural studies at CBU, um, but he's open, and I, and I and I think that's the first step along the way and actually getting help too.
0: That's 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 awesome. That is wonderful. One of the things we're trying to do with our laughter for all outreaches is to bring someone who speaks on that for ten minutes about this to big bring awareness because sometimes. You get people who are like have uh, schizophrenia, and then you get some older Christian who said, "Oh, that's demonic, or there's demons in these people." <laughs> yeah. What do you say to that? Uh,
1: well, I would say that's not true. So, for some reason, God has allowed different forms of mental illness. They don't all just come because of drugs. It's not necessarily a demon. I'd say in most times it's not but many times there's just something that's, that's off. Maybe there's a chemical imbalance and they can get some medical help. They can get some counseling. It's not necessarily just pray hard. Have my pastor come over um, and anoint me with oil, which are all good things to do, but there are professionals out there, godly men and women who can also use their giftings to, to help you along the way. There are options for you and you're not alone, but I think many people they feel alone and they feel like giving up and, they haven't received the help that they they possibly could from the church. And really the church, I think the church is still learning and growing and what they can do to help. Um, because that's a, that's a big task ahead. It is. And we can get better in caring for people who have mental,
0: mental illnesses. Right. If, what what is the role of laughter in your own messages and sermon? Are you do you rely on laughter? Do you think it's important? Oh, I what, think it's so important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I got I got voted cutest laugh in seventh grade at my school. So, yeah. I mean, I'm I, people know me as the as the pastor with the goofy laugh. Oh, in fact, when my wife heard my laugh. She thought she thought I did it for attention. She realized no, this guy just has a goofy laugh. So even even the laugh that I have, I, I get more compliments, Nazareth, on my laugh than I do my sermons. <laughs> I mean, people, people are like, Daniel, you just need to laugh more. We love hearing you laugh. Um, and, I, and I think it's a part of the uniqueness of who I am. I, I like to laugh. Uh, my jokes most times make me laugh and not other people, and they just <laughs> laugh at my laughter. Um, but I, I, I've noticed when I'm goofy, I'm silly, I laugh. Many times it kind of brings people's guards down so that when I do go hard at the truth, they're more able to receive it. Um, I think sermons should be filled with laughter and fun and joking around, um, but also just truth, biblical truth in them at the same time. I think there's a place for both.
0: That's true. I always said, you know what? Watered down gospel doesn't change any life. You know, Mm -hmm. you water it down and, uh, So that leads me uh, to a question. I wrote it down. I normally, uh, how do you, uh, what do you call it? Uh, How do you balance between being biblical and culturally woke? Like, you know, with this new, you know, how do you stay in balance? Because being a senior pastor of a mega church, a lot of mega churches have this idea. They want to fit with the culture, but at the same time, they want to stay. How do you steer that at the Grove?
1: Well, I, I think you can't stray from the Bible. I mean, I, I, you know, a pastor who I really respect, um, who I think does as well as Matt Chandler uh, down in Texas, I, I love the way that he pastors. I love the way that he preaches. I mean, he preaches God's word faithfully, and that's a large church. He does it with a lot of humor, sarcasm. Uh, when I watch his sermons, I'm laughing. I'm challenged. I'm convicted. I understand God's word more. I mean, God's word's alive, so I I like I like preaching uh, the the Bible expositionally. Um, we now teach a book of, through of the Bible a year, so in in uh, beginning of the year we're going to go through Exodus. We'll spend twenty to thirty weeks going through Exodus along the way, chapter by chapter, and it makes me a better preacher when I'm just spending time in one chapter, breaking it down, sharing what God's word says, and not just me jumping back and forth. Sometimes I do that. But that, I'm just a better preacher that's way. That's how I was trained at Cal Baptist. Um, so God's word is powerful when we stick to what God's word says. But at the same time, you got to be yourself. I mean, I've, I've heard many people say, I don't know who says it, but the best preacher you can be is you. So let right. your goofy, your goofiness come out of you. Um, let your uniqueness come out of you and have fun Have fun with it. So doing our best that we can to preach God's word faithfully and, uh, and also but- having joy in the midst of it all.
0: Does it hit you like, oh, I need to appeal to this group, too, to grow the church or to keep the church, you know? Sure.
1: I, I mean, I I manuscript my sermons, so I write them word for word so I don't say oh. something that I regret.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really? You write it oh, word yeah. by word. Oh, yeah, man. So it, it,
1: keep, it keeps me on track. And then my wife, I actually have my wife read it. And then usually she'll tell me, even like this last week, she's like, it, it's kind of uh, – you don't have any other stories in there. So basically she told me it was boring is what she was saying. <laughs> That's I had to go in and kind of spice it up a little bit. Okay, here's something where I can add an illustration. Here's something where I can talk about something personal in my life. Here's something where I can give a little joke and, and maybe get some laughter just to, just to break it up because people lose focus. I lose focus all the oh, time. Yeah. And I think laughter kind of brings you back in, engages you so that you can actually hear the truth at the next point. So that's, I'll read my sermon if I think it's a boring spot I'll think of something I can do to try to lighten it up a little bit.
0: Uh, well, speaking of, of of that generation, like what do you think of this new generation coming up and what is the best way to reach them? Number one, let what do you, you know, they're they're a cancel culture, they're big on social media, they're just uh they feel they have the, you know, what they what they believe is the most important thing and uh, what do you think? Tell us about this generation that we're dealing with in how, how do you reach out to them?
1: Yeah, I, from what I've noticed in this generation, they they don't like a production as much is what I'm noticing. I think they even like things stripped down a little bit. They, they like a little bit more rawness, the, just to show how authentic something really is. So even right now, we don't have a big screen outside. Uh, we just have a guitar, someone singing, maybe keys, real stripped down. But even the younger people, they're they're loving it. I mean, it kind of has a backyard feel, and that that's okay. So I think even the challenge for a larger church at times is like, man, we got a lot of people coming. How can we make this, you know, big? How can we make this exciting? But many times, just the preaching of God's word faithfully, a um, solid, solid message, while worshiping the Lord with some gospel centered uh, lyrics in it, that's what people want. That's what people desire. That's what works. Um, and that's what we're trying to do as a church. We want to be a faithful church more than anything else. And even even at the Grove, our, our goal, we have no growing numbers. We're not trying to get to a certain number. We just want to be healthy. We want to be faithful. And if the Lord adds to our numbers, great. And if not, we'll do the best we can to be faithful with who He's entrusted to us. Um, something else I've realized that they like is they like knowing what we're doing as a church and where the tithes and offerings are going to. So even as a church right now, something that we do at The Grove is we raise a million dollars a year over our regular tithes and offerings. And we put it in a book. Actually,
0: I have it right here. That's awesome. Okay, Just
1: a book right here of a million dollars worth of different projects and initiatives that we're going to do. In the last three years, Nazareth, we've easily raised over the million dollars. It's not even something where we beg the people anymore. It's like, hey, if you want to be a part of this, here's our vision. Here's what we're going to do feel free to give to it. And I think people like knowing, okay, they're actually, they know where the money's going. Um, They can see that. And it's something that's helped.
0: And you guys have like a mobile clinic that you go to areas, poor areas and do. Yeah. That that
1: was one of the love offering niches a couple of years ago. And uh, we have a mobile medical clinic where we take it to Paris or different areas where people may not have healthcare and our doctors, nurses at the church volunteer that are part of it. And uh, it's been a huge blessing to other people. The organization we were working with it just went bankrupt, so we're um, working with a, a, a couple new organizations to get medical licensing under them, and uh, it should be back and running shortly.
0: That's that is wonderful, wonderful. We have a, some people listen. You know, we we have we, I started a ministry in 2009 for refugees, and I heard about the, that. And one of the things we serve 1,500 families, four hundred thousand dollars worth of food that we gave away, but, uh, since the pandemic, but the whole idea is, which always been very careful about having, you know, medical doctors and nurses because of the lawsuits and all that. So that's awesome that you guys are doing that. A lot of people don't have insurance or can't afford to go to the doctors, but, uh, what do you, okay, here's a question. I have a 22 year old, a uh, 20 year old going to be, she's going to be in, uh, in about four days and a 13 year old. The way I raised them when they were younger was different than the way you have three boys and a uh, daughter. I got two, daughter. Boy, two boys and a girl. Two boys and a girl. What's the ages? Seven, five, and three. Seven, five. We're in it. Seven. What do you teach them? How would you raise them different because of this culture that we're in, this craziness that we're in? I mean, all, all, I, all I know is is what I know. My parents...
1: My parents allowed me to go to public school. They brought me to church. They did little Bible studies. And my mom taught me to memorize scripture when I was a kid. First passage I memorized was Psalm 23. Yeah. It's tough because, you know, pastor's kids can get weird. There's some weird pastor kids out there. Oh,
0: many, I know. There's a group for them. <laughs>
1: yeah, kidding. Many times they can uh, resent the church. They can resent their parents. They can resent the Lord. So I, I just keep praying, Lord, I, I don't want them to resent you. I want them to love you. I want them to know the gospel and, and, and be a joy that their, their mom and dad serve the church. So, we're doing our best to care for them. We, we kept them in private school just because we want them to learn to make decisions and mess up and to see, to help them along the way. Uh, I, I know more and more people are homeschooling or doing private school, and, and there, there are great options out there. I know the public school education is, is, is changing and the things that they're teaching, and, and it scares me as a, as a parent. But now and I right now, it's like, okay, well, we're gonna learn what the curriculum is. We're gonna teach them God's word before then, and we're gonna take it a year at a time to figure out what's best for our kids, knowing that we're a pastor in a large church. And uh, that's what we think is best for our family right now. It's not what's best for everyone, but that's what's best for us. It may change next time.
0: That's awesome, especially you know, especially now our my daughters in virtual is doing everything virtually. And the stuff they're learning, she's in public. All of them went to public school and all of them are believers, praise God. So that's awesome. But, but you're right. It all depends on the home. Now, anything at the church you were ready to preach or something happened that was funny that you remember or embarrassing or something we need to have, you have some funny stories. You know that (laughs) I just got to (laughs) remember.
1: Yeah, I got something that happened funny at the church. Oh, man. Uh, The only story, it's a weird story, Nazareth. The only weird story I remember when I was a youth pastor, Tom Lance, he uh, was meeting all the pastors one day and he said, he said, Daniel, you're my last meeting of the day, make it interesting. And I told Tom, I said, Tom, you'll never forget this meeting for the rest of your life. And uh, I I was in my office, like, I wonder what I should do. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to walk into his office with my shirt off. And uh, so I took my shirt off and I started walking down the halls. People were looking like, what is this guy doing? And uh, sat in Tom's office and he he didn't laugh. He like looked at me he's like, what are you doing? And I said, I told you I'd make it interesting. And even <laughs> as I said it, I'm like, man, this just sounds so weird right now. Like what is going on? <laughs> and, and I was getting sweaty and I'm like, what's happening? And I was like, I'm gonna go put my shirt on. He's like, yeah, good idea. So I go put my shirt on and we never talked about it. Like, I'm not kidding you for like a couple of years, never mentioned it again. And one day I told the, the the story in church just about an awkward situation, and Tom was dying laughing uh, down at the on the, in the front row. When I went and sat down after the sermon was done, I said, "Hey, you remember when that happened?" He's like, "Yes, Daniel." And I said, "Hey, I told you you'd never forget that meeting, man."
0: <laughs> so, and he he picked you to be the senior pastor. So I don't know the, why. The, the, hey, trust me, I still wonder why. <laughs> you there know. You SP- I speak at mega churches a lot, and somehow sometimes you see a lot the the celebrity pastor because it's a big church. They have the the two un, you know bodyguards that they don't call them bodyguards. Uh, that's the that, you know everybody is running around making sure. Oh, what does pastor need? You know, you, do you do you get that treatment, and how do you deal with that? No, I don't
1: get that treatment. But. <laughs> you oh. don't. I mean, no, no, nobody knows who I am. That's okay. I don't have a book deal. Uh, <laughs> like that. And, and, and there's, there's solid pastors out there who do and that. That's okay. I'm not, I'm not saying that's, that's bad. And God's gifted some people with the ability to write books and encourage believers. And that's great. Uh, the Grove it's, it's, I think it's just a different feel, man. I, I think it's different on the church itself. It's a family church. We do team teaching. It's not me every single time. We have a security team, but they're not someone to stand right next to me. It's just to make sure everyone's safe and okay.
0: Right, so of course.
1: Many, and many people on the security, some of our team, are, I mean, they're, they're older too. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <You know?
0: laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to protect him. Not yeah, him I'm like, I'm me. rather
1: on the team, but who's protecting who? <laughs>
0: that, that's, that's funny. No, that's so people. I mean,
1: I give people my cell phone number. If you call the Grove to talk to me, it goes straight to me each church has their you, your their uniqueness but i think the grove right now we we do our best to for people to interact you want to interact with me you can interact with me and you'll find out i'm not that special of a person i'm pretty messed up pretty underwhelming and yet guys brought me at this church to love the people entrusted to us and and i'm called to serve this local church so
0: but that what makes you special because you know what that's the true hum- humility and and uh, i'm not knocking anybody or any pastor sometimes you know you never get to see the senior pastor when a church 5000 members hardly sometimes you can get to the senior pastor I can, I mean, but there's a lot of people who cannot, or just like they, there's no time to do that. So for you to be, and you're right. When I called, I got you directly, and that's that's unheard of in a in a church your size. So, you know, my hat off to you for that. That's awesome. That's
1: that's the biggest challenge because as the church has grown, grown, we want to do our best to stay to have that personal touch. And I think even churches that are are larger or a pastor who has a lot of speaking engagement book deals. That may be their heart. They're just not able to, but we're still able to. So um, right now for me, I just want to serve this local church. I feel called to this local church and uh, I hope that God will have me here for 30 years. That's, that's my goal.
0: That would be great. What is Riverside? It's, you know what? Riverside is uh, this area. If people are watching from other States, I know people all over the world, uh, some, you know, some of you live in uh, Hong Kong or watching and others, but uh, <laughs> Riverside is it's not it's not a wealthy area. It's a, it's like lower middle class. There is a lot of uh, sex trafficking, which I know your church. And that's how we met briefly for Rebirth Homes, which, uh, you know, they do a great job in helping uh, women who are in sex trafficking. In, in in the Riverside Inland Empire and you, your church is very instrumental in in helping them. Uh, what, how, how do you handle your community? What do you do for the community? I know you guys do a lot of globally, 80-some uh, missionaries. What do you do for the community?
1: Well, first off, I like Riverside. Riverside is great. It's in between Orange County and the mountains, about 45 mi- minutes to the beach, 45 minutes to the mountains. I mean, Time Magazine just said it's the number one place in America that millennials are moving to. In America.
0: Really? Riverside, in America? Riverside? In America,
1: I think part of that is because you have Cal Baptist, Division I school growing, 11,000 students there. You have UCR. Uh, you have La Sierra University and maybe a couple others around the way. And it, it is a little bit more affordable than Orange County, so it's It's a place where people can live affordably and then still travel to different places along the way. We're um, over 350,000. It, it is a good, it's a great city, um, but there is sex trafficking in, so- in in Southern California in general. And there's a, a lady in our church who started a home called Rebirth Homes, just like you said, who's trying to help people get out of sex trafficking and to provide a place for them where they can find healing, uh, get job training. And the Grove partners heavily with them. Uh, we use our counseling department here at our church. We have like 45 counselors, um, and some of them go and, and actually help with these ladies. And anyways, they're seeing a lot of success. We've seen people give their life to the Lord at Rebirth Homes. we baptize some of these young ladies. God's doing a great thing through Rebirth Homes. And I think for the local church in general, I think every local church, big or small, you should do your best to care for the city that you're in. The Grove's a little larger, so we're, we're able to do things with the funds that we have. We support Rebirth Homes, Riverside Life Services, which um, helps try to yes. care for moms who are, are thinking of holding on to their babies. Even Path of Life Ministries, which is our homeless shelter in town, when we're meeting inside, we send a van out. There are two vans. We bring the homeless to our service. We give them breakfast. We bring them back. We had a guy in church not too long ago. He came up to me. He's like, Daniel, I just want to let you know. He said, I, I was on that van that you guys come and pick me up when I was at the homeless shelter. He said, I got married. We had no money. You guys did it for free. He said, I now have a job. We live an hour and a half away, but we still drive to the Grove just because your church cared for me when I was hurting the most and God's used you. Um, not me, but use the, this church uh, to bring them to the Lord. So we we do our best. Honestly, we're just doing our best to care for those in our city because that's what we believe God's called the local church to do. And there's, gone. and there's a lot of churches in Riverside who are doing the same thing. There's a lot of great local churches in Riverside. We're just one of many. And I think that's the problem, Nazareth, sometimes. I think sometimes the name of just one church, they try to make that too big. It's not right. about the Grove. There's There's a lot of great churches in Riverside in Corona, in Orange County. We're unique. Each church has their uniqueness, and each one of us plays a part in partnering together to share the gospel with those that God has entrusted to us. So we don't want to be the best church in the city. We just want to be one healthy, faithful church, and those who come to us, great. We're we're going to do our best to care for them, love them, mature them, and together make disciples here in the city and around the world, because that's, that's the Great Commission. That's what God's called us to do.
0: Amen. Amen. Uh, What do you say to people who, uh, right now, because of the pandemic, they're lonely, some lost their jobs, some are going, man, my dreams are all gone. Uh, What do you say to them as a pastor who want to encourage people?
1: I would tell you, well, because I kind of preached on it this last week, I'd read Lamentations chapter 3. I, I, of all chapters I preached to, man, I went to Lamentations. <laughs> nobody
0: ever talked about Lamentation yeah. on this nobody show. Goes, this is laughter for
1: all. <laughs> lamentations. You know, what, what am I thinking? <laughs> but
0: <laughs> okay. let me tell you,
1: it's a good chapter. It's, it's where that, there, I mean, there, that's the passage in there where it says, um, The steadfast love of the Lord endures for, forever. His mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. And it talks about how nothing happens without the Lord commanding it. The good days and the bad days have happened because God commanded them to happen. So you have to realize God is sovereign over all. The good days, the bad days, the turmoil, the trials, God's in control. And if it's, if it's happening, it's because God has commanded it to happen. He was using all things to draw people in to him, to know him, to love him, to depend upon him. So the question is, in this most trying time of your life, are you drawing closer to the Lord where you need him? Is your prayer life growing? Is your Bible reading growing? Or are you just becoming more frustrated? Are you becoming more scared? I talked to some people They say, well, I'm just becoming more political. I'm like, really? You think all of this is going on right now because God wants you to become more political? And not, not bad to be involved in politics. I mean, I think my interest has even grown a little bit, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is always God drawing our hearts to himself. So in this tragedy, in this trial, God is with you. I mean, he is with you. He'll give you everything that you need. Keep leaning into him and he will prove faithful. He will prove faithful um, every single day of your life. So that's what I would tell you.
0: That is awesome. That's a great encouragement. Uh, uh, w- what would be your first sermon once you open the churches again, everything is safe again to come back? What would you be preaching on?
1: My first sermon is we've never been closed. Um, oh,
0: that's right.
1: <laughs> I, and everyone, everyone has a different Everyone has a different taste, take on it. Church is open. I mean, we're meeting together. And even for the person you said who's kind of at home and they're struggling right now, I think there's going to have to come a time in your mind where you're preparing your heart. Okay, when am I going to start interacting with people? Because like I said, the Grove's meeting outside, it's nothing different. It was 70 degrees outside. It was perfect. But uh, a quarter of the church was there. So when's that right time for you to start to engage? I mean, even our small group, my small group's meeting outside. We're making it happen. I still feel that community. So it's like, what what point are you being cautious? At what time is it fear? At what time do I need to start getting involved in my church again? So I think that's going to be the next step. How do pastors draw people back to understand how important that community is, um, while at the same time not making them feel guilty for staying away while protecting their family? I think that'll be the challenge. But in my mind, the church has always been open. It's just been a little
0: inconvenient. Of course, would you rather preach, continue virtually and reach the world or go be live and have people?
1: <laughs> yeah, preaching to a camera is terrible, but still are our, our, the people who are engaged in one of our services is still up for us. And we are reaching more people. It's not ideal. I can't wait till everything is back to the way it was. I hope it, it can get to that. So people say, I don't know if it'll ever go back to normal. I, I, I'm hopeful that it will. I really am. And I look forward to preaching inside to to all the families of the Grove again.
0: Now, if Daniel Bishop would write a book, what would be about and what would be the title?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. I I do. You know, I'm young. And uh, if I ever wrote something, I think it'd be on Proverbs. I think it'd be on Proverbs because uh, even for those who are watching, I mean, the way I read my Bible, I, I think an interesting question is always to ask people, What does your devotion time look like? Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, I read a chapter a day. I read a chapter a day from beginning to end in the Bible. It takes me about three and a half years to do it, and at the same time, I read a proverb a day. So today's the eighth. I read I read Proverbs chapter eight, and I read First Samuel chapter uh, eighteen today. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's where I'm at right now. And I just take one verse away. I write a verse in my in my journal of what I took away, and that I can try to apply uh, to my life is what I want to do. So in my mind, Proverbs. Uh, it's advice from a father to a son in in having wisdom in how you live this life. And uh, the, the father being David telling his son in, in Proverbs chapter 4, hey, go get wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Um, and what did Solomon ask for? What did Solomon ask for when God came to him in a dream? I'll give wisdom. you anything. What do you want? He asked for wisdom. He listened to his father. And now Solomon's giving wisdom himself. And you can see in some of the language in Proverbs, he's telling his son the same thing. So already, uh, Nazareth, what I tell my my boys, they're, they're seven and five. I say, hey, first and foremost, you know what you need? I mean, you need God, but you need wisdom. You know what wisdom is? Well, wisdom is the knowledge that comes from God. You need knowledge that only comes from Him. And the only way that you're going to get it is to fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you beg the Lord for wisdom every day, boys. And they know it. Hey, what do you need to ask God for? Wisdom. <laughs> so I would yeah. write a book somehow a devotion for parents helping their kids understand the different proverbs, because I think it's a book to be meant to pass down from family to family, father to son, mother to daughter, and what it means to get wisdom and seek the Lord as we interact with one another.
0: Amen. Uh, Last couple of questions. What do you, what do you say to a pastor who said, I'm giving up, I'm tired. I'm done. Just too much pressure to be running a church. Have you ever been there or have, have you you? know,
1: I've, I've been tired. I've, I've wondered at times, uh, is is the church going to still want me when this is (laughs) all. But you know when God calls you to position. I do feel like I'm built for this. I'm not, I I feel prepared. I feel ready, um, to the pastor who feels like they're going to stop. I just tell you, God doesn't want you to quit. Um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. I think things are only going to get worse as it comes to the end, in life in general, and God will always be enough. But if He's placed you as the shepherd of that church, then don't leave the flock. Care for them, love them well, do the best you can, even if they're not happy. Seek the Lord every single day. And I believe that God will be faithful to you, even if they're not happy. Your job's not to make them happy, your job's to make them faithful and to care for them well. So surround yourself with good people, stay in the Word, and I, I believe God will give you enough.
0: That is a powerful statement, Uh, you know what? God doesn't want your congregation to be happy, they want them to be faithful. And that's, that's amazing. That's, I mean, if everyone would do that, if every pastor would preach that, that's, that's amazing. So praise God for you, Pastor Daniel. I mean, you're young uh, in age, but uh, a lot of wisdom. I don't know. It just depends, man. I ask for wisdom Uh, every day. (laughs) uh, Talk to someone who doesn't go to church, but now he said, after this pandemic, I'm going to start attending church. And they live within uh, 40 miles from you. How would you invite them? What kind of stuff you have for them?
1: How would I invite them to come to the grove? Like what do you, you know? I general? want them to come.
0: Yeah, invite them to the grove. Just do a big invitation commercial for the grove right now. Oh man, well if you're forty
1: miles away, I'd actually try to convince you to go to a church that's closer to you. Oh, that's nice. That's <laughs> nice. I, okay. But I would tell them, I'd say go, go to a local church where you trust the leadership, you trust the pastor, you trust that they're going to preach God's word faithfully. They're going to care for you and look after your soul because that is the job of a pastor. And if someone's interested in coming to the Grove, I'd say, great, come and check it out. Uh, I, I think we're a family that loves the Lord. We love others. Our purpose statement is being changed by God to reach all people. We've been changed by what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our sins, but he's still changing us. And he's changing us so that we can reach people in our city and around the world. And we want to be a part of what he's doing. So if the, Grove brought, if the Lord brought you to the Grove, great. If you came here and you want to try something out, go for it. But find a church and be committed to that church and make that church better because we need committed members that are going to serve their local church well and make them healthy because God wants us to make the bride beautiful. The church is his bride. Make it beautiful, and we'll do the best we can in fulfilling the purpose that he's given to us and making disciples of all nations.
0: Amen. Well, Pastor Daniel, I pray that God would just continue to use you, continue to give you wisdom to lead the uh, this church and uh, and you know, the body of Christ in 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 Southern California. And thank you so much for your time. I really there's a lot there's a lot of great nuggets for for pastors and for people to to learn from this podcast. And so appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy man. Hey, Nazareth
1: Honor to be asked by you. It's nice bumping into you at the Rebirth Homes uh, fundraiser. And it's great to be on your show. So to all his listeners, uh, thanks for thanks for listening. It's nice, nice uh, talking to you all.
0: Thank you. And if you want to get a hold of the church, it's at the the website is thegrove.cc. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, websites thegrove.cc. And you can personally email me. I'll respond back. I don't have some minion uh responding to emails. It's dbishop at thegrove.cc. That's my email address.
0: And that's awesome. Thank you so much. I would love to one day do a laughter for all outreach, maybe outdoors before it gets cold or oh, after God, it gets that. warm. We'll have, we'll have to we'll, have you come out, Nazareth. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you. Enjoy your kids, because uh, sometimes ministry and church uh, have a way to pull us away from our family but yeah Yeah, it doesn't look that way for you so praise god for you i
1: I love them more i love my kids more so i'll do my best
0: (laughs) amen well thank you guys for watching and listening i want to remind you every weeknight at 8 30 p.m pacific time we have the live with nash show where you can be the comedian for an hour and then we'll ask you for your prayer request and we'll pray for you so join us tonight on facebook at comedian nazareth and uh thank you guys and please go to the grove.cc and uh, find out more about how they're serving the lord in your area and other areas we love you guys thank you so much and god bless you thank you pastor
1: god bless you